Welcome to The Beat, a podcast series from the COPS office at the Department of Justice, featuring interviews with experts from a varied field of disciplines. The Beat provides law enforcement with the latest developments and trending topics in community policing. Hello, I'm your host, Jennifer Donnellan, and welcome to another episode of The Beat. Today, we'll be speaking with Paul Formulo, the Assistant Chief of the Milwaukee Police Department, about an all-hands-on-deck approach to reducing shootings in their city. The overarching objective of community policing is to gather information and establish partnerships and processes that support the proactive identification and prevention of crime, rather than be left simply to respond to crimes after they've been committed. While that may sound simple enough, it has not always been proven an easy thing to do. That is why American law enforcement is sitting up and taking notice of a process implemented by the Milwaukee Police Department to address homicides and shootings more effectively. Assistant Chief Formolo, thank you for joining us to discuss this new program and your process, and welcome to The Beat. You're welcome. It's definitely an honor to have this opportunity to speak with everyone here. And I may have misspoke. It may not be a new program, but we'll get into that. Before we do that, we ask everybody the same question when we start the show, which is... What got you into law enforcement in the first place? My personal reasons for getting into law enforcement was I just had this desire to serve my community. I started off with the military right after high school. And when I left the military, I felt that, you know, I still wanted to continue to serve my community, my country. And I felt law enforcement was a very good pathway to do that. And how long have you been in? I have been with the Milwaukee Police Department since December of 1996. Oh, good for you. Thank you. 96. Gosh, I don't know why. As of late, I'm trying to do math while talking. Just, while. I just I'm in my 26th year now. Thank you. <laughs> People are probably seriously questioning my intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> so before we start talking about this review process, let's sort of set the stage about Milwaukee for context. So it's on the western shore of Lake Michigan. It has a diverse population of about 570,000 people. It's about 90 miles north of Chicago, so that our listeners can sort of envision it in their minds. What is the homicide rate in this city? Well, it's certainly unprecedented. Like other major cities across the country, we've unfortunately, since 2020, have consecutively set new records. Historically, the average homicide rate in this city was anywhere between 90 to 110 homicides per year. But in 2020, we finished the year at over 190. And oh. unfortunately, for last year, 2022, we finished at 214 homicides. Oh, no. Yes. It's been challenging, very challenging. And I'm sure we can get into the discussion later as to what we think the issues are here. Absolutely. I'd love to talk about that because as you said, it's probably situations and scenarios and reasons that we're seeing in areas across the country. Right. Very, very sorry to hear that. And for the families of those victims and for your officers, that's not what they signed up to do, right? They sign up to try and prevent crime and save lives and loss of life is one is too many. Absolutely. Let me also just ask for context. Do you happen to know like the number of non-fatal shootings you typically deal with or have been dealing with? Yeah, again, before 2020, we were probably in the lowest I had in all the 2000s, around 400 non-fatal shootings a year. That exploded as well. In 2021, we finished at 873. It kind of planed out in 2022 at 877. So basically, you know, less than a 1% increase. But if you compare it to 2019, doubled, that's right? doubled, 100%. Yes, right. doubled. 
Yep. 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 Okay. We'll get into that. So how about your department itself? About how many officers do you have there? I don't know if your district's precincts, but how's the city broken up? Sure. The Milwaukee Police Department consists of seven districts within the city. We have approximately 1,600 sworn members on our department. Our Criminal Investigation Bureau is centralized. We have seven divisions within our Criminal Investigation Bureau. Homicide, Violent Crimes Division, which is responsible for investigating the non-fatal shootings, and General Crimes, which is mostly responsible for property crimes and robbery. We have a Fusion Division, Sexual Crimes Division, Forensics Division, and then our Special Investigations Division, which I'll discuss more about when we get into our public safety review. Before we get to that public safety review, what are the situations, the crime picture? You're talking about non-fatal shootings doubling. You're talking about homicides doubled when compared to previous historic numbers. What are you looking at? What's the crime picture there? What's fueling that? Guns? Absolutely. It's the firearms. The amount of firearms that are on our streets right now, unprecedented. We're experiencing a dramatic uptick with the polymer guns, the ghost guns, along with the extended magazines or the high-capacity magazines. I get asked frequently why in 2022 we had an 11% increase in homicides, but basically non-fatal shootings were flat. And generally, people or individuals would use the non-fatal shooting metric as a means to kind of like gauge violence. Right. But this was kind of reversed in Milwaukee. So I explain it this way. Our shooting incidents are more lethal. There's a higher lethality now simply because there are more guns introduced into these altercations with high capacity magazines. So statistically speaking, we have more lead in the air. The chances of more people getting shot and causing death has increased. Yeah. Okay. Again, not something unique just to Milwaukee. No, absolutely not. So what led to the public safety review? That's what you've called the practice. What led to this review process? Sure. The public safety review originated in our department in 2018. It was an alternative means to address crime compared to a ComStat. And the reason why we kind of drifted away from doing a ComStat. What is ComStat? Basically, it's short for computer statistics. ComStat or computer statistics was basically using data to identify your hotspots, your problems, and then in deploying your resources to those areas. So basically, putting cops on dots, that was the name for it. Yeah. You know, you, know, you see, see the dots, put the cops there. So what that did, though, was fell right into the over-policing narrative with not really being able to justify or articulate properly to the community why we're there. And to the community, that looked like the police department was an occupational force, again, over-policing and not really justifying it. I kind of compare it to whack-a-mole policing. We're just running around the neighborhood, stopping everything that moves, doing random police work, which is going to get your random results. All the while, you're destroying legitimacy within the community. Okay. And you need that. You need them welcoming you in these efforts. Because at the end of the day, nobody wants crime in their neighborhoods. Correct. Ultimately, the community doesn't want crime in their neighborhood. That is true. But they also don't want to be stopped for petty reasons over and over again. Correct. All right. So what is the public safety review process? What is it? Describe it. Sure. It's a process basically bringing in three major components, partnerships, law enforcement, our social partners and our public health partners, and it's other partners in the criminal justice system holistically. It also has a community engagement piece and a research piece to it. I like that. 
you know, I'm seeing more and more departments incorporating academia, right? I yes. mean, producing all of this data, which is invaluable data, but no one's processing it and putting it yep. together for you. So that's great. Okay. So just again, you said social services. Yeah. Partnerships with other law enforcement okay. organizations or social services our community health partners, and even our research partners from the Medical College of Wisconsin. What's the community engagement piece? The community engagement piece, it's kind of broad, but within the public safety review, it's our Office of Violence Prevention is like our shop that we go to. If we want to make referrals, we send the referral to them, and then they will ensure that that referral goes to the right organization. Because as we all know, not every social service organization is fit to handle everything. For example, a young female offender is going to need different services than a young male offender. Typically, a young female pathway into crime was sexual abuse or assault. So we have to get them those specific services that would not necessarily be for a male. And I want to get into like exactly like what does the public safety review look like? Is it a folder with crimes and it's sort of handed around to group to group and then there's a conclusion? Is it a room filled with people standing around tables, having open conversations? What does that look like? So, yeah, I'll start off with the beginning. So we have an agenda. Obviously, every week the agenda is set. And we, throughout the week, kind of weigh and triage which shootings are going to be reviewed. All homicides and shootings are not equal. Although they're traumatic, not every shooting is going to justify the same response or resources from law enforcement or even from other portions of the criminal justice system. Is it one of those things like this shooting, there's really no service that would have supported or made an impact? Like this shooting is just sort of clear cut and there's no remedy with this particular case. Yeah, it could be something as simple as, I'll give you a perfect example of a shooting we most likely wouldn't review. You have two individuals that may have been consuming alcohol, passing a gun around, and jokingly, one points it at his buddy and accidentally shoots him. You know, that one there, we would handle like informally, like, okay, either of these individuals need like trauma-informed care, or do they need substance abuse? And then we're done with it. Because the likelihood of retaliation or a furtherance of violence from that shooting is unlikely or very low. So we're looking at those shootings that have the highest propensity of retaliation or continued violence. So it's the rocks that make the ripples. Correct. Very good analogy. So once we get our agenda built up, we will then put a slide deck together or a PowerPoint together. We disseminate that to all of our partners. We're very transparent. I have no issues sharing any of this information with any of our partners, whether they're sworn or non-sworn. And that's very important to have that trust and that transparency. I get asked frequently, aren't you worried somebody's going to leak this stuff out to the media? Or are you jeopardizing the safety of witnesses or undercover police officers? We've been doing this for five years now. We've never had an incident like that. Do you think it's because by the sheer action of bringing these people into the fold and the expectation of almost sanctity that you get that buy-in, everyone understands how important the process is, so no one's willing to threaten it? Yeah, that's correct. And obviously, if we ever have that breach of trust, we would deal with that on an individual basis. So it's the shootings. It could cause ripples. It's the one that could have consequences, effects. It's the homicides, that same situation. So you make a determination, you decide which cases, and then what happens? So then we send that information out to everybody so that all of our partners and the people that participate in this process have time to prepare and do their own research that's relative to their space or within their lanes. And then we get together in person or virtually, so it's hybrid, 
just to maximize the participation because everyone's got busy schedules. And we have our meeting every Wednesday at 1.30. And we start off the meeting usually with just kind of going over some stats, statistics. And then we get into what we call the accountability piece. And this is very important if you are going to institute this type of model in your organizations. You've got to have an accountability piece where everybody's mutually accountable to each other. So what that means is in the previous week, if an agency, whether it's the FBI, ATF, probation, parole, if they took on a task or what we call a deliverable, you are expected to report back on that deliverable the next week as to what you accomplished. Did it work? Did it remedy the situation, et cetera? Obviously, we do that to hold each other accountable, but also to develop best practices. Oh, wow, that that little strategy worked. You know, that's something that you know, we, we'll take note of and implement at a later time or, or repeat. So we go through that, the accountability piece, and then we start into our incidents, our reviews. In order to best help listeners envision this process, give me a for example. Like We got an example of a case that you wouldn't review. Give me an example of a case you would review. Almost exclusively domestic violences will be reviewed. That's almost an automatic. And I can forward you our like score sheet too, if that helps. But another example would be shootings between two opposing groups. You have group A going against group B and usually clicks. Milwaukee doesn't really have that traditional gang problem. We have click neighborhood issues. So if group A is shooting at group B again, and that one will automatically get reviewed because we now we know group B is going to come after group A. So that would be an opportunity to get our Office of Violence Prevention involved and maybe they can send out their violence interrupters to the block or get some other services out to these individuals to try to mediate or get a ceasefire in order. So that makes that all make sense, right? Because now I can see where all these different levels, they have the potential to affect a particular situation. That's correct. We start reviewing our incidents. We're very respectful of people's times. We don't want this to turn into a review of the incident itself. Certainly, we're going to highlight it, provide context but we're not reading the police report. It's a very brief overview of the incident to provide context, kind of lay the groundwork down. Then we start looking at where we can have impact, where are the exit ramps at for our victims, even our suspects. If children are present, what kind of resources can we get for them? Because we know children that are exposed to violence or witness violence, they have a higher potential of you know being part of that continuous cycle. So we start looking at the different exit ramps with our partners for services, for everybody involved. We will start looking at if there's NIBIN connections to this incident. So NIBIN is... National Integrated Ballistic Information Network, NIBIN. So it's basically tracing the bullets and the guns, right? That's correct. We're looking to see if the casings match each other. So it compares casings to casings and then casings to firearms. So you have federal partnership as well? Absolutely. We have the FBI, ATF, and U.S. Marshal Service that regularly, and our U.S. Attorney's Office as well. That's got to aid in the prosecution of crimes. Yeah, it's very beneficial having our U.S. attorney office present along with our state district attorney or county district attorney. And that when they start hearing these same names and groups over and over again, especially for those trigger pullers who are just unable to get a good shooting case on for whatever reason, typically it's lack of witness victim cooperation. But when they hear that same person's name over and over again, week after week, and then when our investigators bring a case in that may be a firearm or a narcotics offense, they'll know that this is serious and we need to prosecute it to the fullest extent to make the community safer. So everything you've said up to this point, already for me personally, again, learning about it firsthand and for the first time, 
It already seems to attack two frustrations that you hear often about in law enforcement, which is the police are expected to be everything, right? They're expected to wear all these different hats. You have all those hats in the room, it sounds to me. That's correct. We do. You're able to do your job as police because you have those other resources that can fulfill the other roles. That's great. That's an answer I know a lot of people are looking for. The other aspect that this seems to tackle as well that you often hear frustration in law enforcement about is that repeat offender. You've got eyeballs in the room who are witnessing firsthand the very things that you witness on a day-to-day basis, which is that frustrating, I locked this person up. This person committed this horrifying crime, but they're back out. Now they've committed another horrifying crime. They're living it right alongside you through this process. That is 100% correct. And, you know, that is a challenge right now with our court system here in Milwaukee County. And I think it's still residual effects from the shutdown from COVID and that we just didn't have the capacity to keep people in custody that needed to be in custody and court cases, just the backlog and being unable to meet those speedy trial demands amongst other things. And so, yes, we are challenged with trying to incapacitate those who are most violent within our community. Okay. So hindsight is twenty twenty. How many cases do you know, or generally how many cases that the public safety review team has processed since you started in 2018 roundabout? Oh, I would have to say hundreds. hundreds <laughs> I think. Really? Yeah. So before 2020, our numbers were so low that we essentially could do every non-fatal shooting and every firearm related homicide every week. But when the crime wave hit after the George Floyd incident, we were unable to have that capacity because we don't want a three hour meeting for sure. We try to keep it to an hour, an hour and 15 minutes max. So that's when we developed the triaging and the weighted score process for which shootings are going to get reviewed. And do you have any statistical data that you can gauge success or impacts? So when we first implemented it in 2018, our homicides dropped 17% from 119 to 99, and our non-fatal shootings dropped 15%. But probably most importantly, where our non-fatal shooting clearance rate went up from like 20% to, I believe it was like the high 30s. And then in 2019, we finished off clearing 47% of our non-fatal shootings. So... How is this whole thing being met with by the public? What's their reaction? Are they embracing this? Have you received negative feedback from them? Or are they welcoming of this review process? Because some could say that some degree this is targeted enforcement. Right. It is, but it's not random. So back to the feedback piece of this from the public, overwhelmingly, it's been positive. With this process that we have in place, because again, we have our social service partners attending as well, and they have their outreach within the community themselves. And they're kind of our voice and spokespeople helping us communicate what we're trying to accomplish. But we're able to justify why we're going after this person, why we're going after this group, why we're in this neighborhood. And we use our partners to help message that. Last summer, we did an operation. We titled it Operation Summer Guardian. And before we even went operational, we actually held like a town hall meeting with anybody, our elected officials or activists, anybody that wanted to attend. And we basically explained to the community what we're going to do and why we're going to do it. And we used shot spotter data to show that these are the areas, these micro hotspots, these are the areas where most of the gunfire is taking place. And because of that, you're going to see an increased police presence in these areas. And we received all kinds of accolades for that transparency. 
And I think that really goes to speak to something that you're seeing more and more of when you get down to why some programs are more successful than others. And it's the piece where you have that transparency, but in plain language, it's just being real with people. Correct. It's doing and explaining why you're doing what you're doing. And I think people appreciate that. Yes, it's very important to explain it to the community, but you also have to message it properly to the officers, the actual individuals are going to be boots on ground working in these neighborhoods. Yes. And we've made it very clear to our officers, we are not going to measure success by arrests, traffic stops, or tickets. We're going to measure success by what occurs or doesn't occur in these areas while you're deployed in them. Go into a little more detail about that messaging that you're sending your officers, that it's not about how many arrests. It's not these quantitative stats. It seems to me more to be about the quality of their behavior and policing. That's it. We want them to be out there, be professional, be approachable. And obviously, if you see something, take the appropriate action. And that's the key, the appropriate action. And you've got the buy-in from the officers. We did. I believe the officers enjoyed being out there. We have stories of our officers who are out there ready to respond to a shot spotter activation, but because of their presence, nothing's taking place, yet they're helping a kid put a chain on a bicycle or they're helping a lady move a washer and dryer into her house. You know, those are the kind of stories that we were getting. We weren't hearing the stories of our officers kicking in doors taking people down at gunpoint. Obviously, if we ever had to do that, we would. But it just didn't happen when we were deployed to those areas. And I'm very excited to see the results. We did submit all the data of this operation to our research partner, and hopefully they're going to be able to get an evaluation or an assessment of it. That's great. Making sense out of everything that you've been doing. That's great. So anyone following suit? Any other cities? I believe you allow other departments to come in and sit and observe this whole process. Have others taken on the task as well? Absolutely. I would love to say that this was strictly our idea. It wasn't. Partly it was, but we actually did a site visit with Oakland PD and saw what they're doing, took what they had and made it our own and consistently have shared it with other agencies. And I know other departments are moving towards this. You know, I don't want to speak for them, but I know it's growing and it's becoming a good alternative to your traditional ComStat style policing. And, you know, it's the fact you've got everyone at the table. It's the fact you're respectful of their time. Their area of expertise are being touched upon. So you can focus on your area of expertise. Officers get to be officers. It's pretty phenomenal. So if anyone wants to hear more about the program or learn more about it, where can they find that? Who do they reach out to? Well, they can reach out to me. I'll provide my email address. It's pformal at milwaukee.gov. That's P-F-O-R-M-O at M-I-L-W-A-U-K-E-E dot G-O-V. You're welcome to come out here and visit us in person. We'll be glad to host, or you can jump on virtually as well. We'll get you to log in. Perfect. You know, I'm glad that we can play our little role and our small part in sharing the message about this program. I think everyone in law enforcement is looking for answers. They're looking for processes that work. And this sounds like one that's working. So I hope people reach out and touch base with you. We can't thank you enough for joining us here on The Beat. My pleasure. Anytime. All right, my friend. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here on The Beat. The Beat is brought to you by the United States Department of Justice's COPS Office. The COPS Office helps to keep our nation's communities safe by giving grants to law enforcement agencies, developing community policing publications, developing partnerships, and solving problems. If you have comments or suggestions, 
please email our response center at askcopsrc at usdoj.gov or check out our social media on Facebook, www.facebook.com backslash DOJCOPS on YouTube, www.youtube.com backslash C backslash DOJ Cops Office or on Twitter at Cops Office. Our website is www.cops.usdoj.gov. The opinions contained herein are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the U.S. Department of Justice. References to specific agencies, companies, products, or services should not be considered an endorsement by the authors or the U.S. Department of Justice. Rather, the references are illustrations to supplement discussion of the issues.